Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. So come on, we're going to get into our new series today. This week I'm going to be taking it on. Next week my beautiful wife will be preaching uh, next week. And then we have an amazing guest speaker the week after that. And so today what we're going to do is I, I have a, I'm going to share, this series comes out of uh, some just honestly just personal uh, me wanting to share with you a little bit about uh, what it means to be a changed person in your walk with God. Like when you become a follower of Jesus, so if you're in the room today and you are not a follower of Jesus, so thankful you're here, um, I'm going to be just sharing some ideas, some things that happen. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, there's some things that happen in your life. There's some change that happens in your heart, in your mind. And sometimes it's big change, sometimes it's little change, sometimes it's subtle change, but these little changes begin to happen in your life. And as you begin to grow in your walk with God, as you begin to grow in your journey with God, little tiny things begin to change in your heart and your life. And it begins to do something in you that I think is revolutionary. And so we're going to read a scripture today. We're going to walk through this verse. This is kind of our key text. I'll just spend just a few moments in it. And then I'm just going to talk about two very specific things that change in your life. Um, today I'm going to talk about relationships and finances. I'm sharing from a personal journey, my own personal journey, of how God has changed my finances and how God has changed my relationships. And I have no doubt that you'll be uh, encouraged, challenged, and blessed with today's thought. And I, I hope that by the end of today, you will leave understanding uh, how a relationship with the Lord will begin to impact your life and how it should look like in your life. So let's read the scripture together in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, 3 to 8. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of God's good news. And so these individuals, Paul is writing to uh, the church in uh, the, the, the Colossians, and uh, he was telling them that, listen, ever since I hear about your church, when I hear about your faith, when I hear about what God is doing in your life, it, it, like it just it begins to impact me. He's saying that I'm just so thankful that God is changing your life. And he said that when you had this expectation, that when you met Christ, there was this fresh reality in your life where you no longer live for just the temporal things on this planet, but now you have this expectation that when you die, you will spend an eternity in heaven, and that when Christ comes back, you will spend an eternity with him forever. Like there's this hope and this expectation that this life that I'm living on is no longer just about the menial things of this planet, but my mind is stretched to think there's more beyond this life, and there's more for me in this life as I follow after Christ and the scripture says that he that they that that it was uh, ex they were experiencing transformation in their lives. Look what he says: the same good news that came to you is going out over all the world. Look at this: it is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. And so these individuals heard the message of Jesus Christ. They heard the gospel message, the gospel message that Jesus Christ came to the earth, 100% man, 100% human, 100% God, walked on the planet, and he gave us life. He died on a cross, a criminal's death, and he experienced tremendous pain, and he took every single ounce of sin and transgression and iniquity and brokenness and, and disconnection and broken relationship and everything that we experience in this world. Jesus took it upon his back, and he took it upon the cross, and he died on a cross, and he said, it is finished, and he was buried for three days and after three days Jesus Christ conquered death and rose from the dead and now because of that you and I can share not only in a life that is a, a, a higher quality of existence right now on this planet but when you and I pass away we will spend an eternity with Jesus Christ this gospel message came into their life and it transformed them there was power in the message 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ, something changed on the inside of them. Look what Paul says in Romans 1.16 about the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone that believes. So when you come to that place in your life, when you finally make the decision that I'm going to have faith, that this is the truth, that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the life, that Jesus is the truth, that he is God, that he's the creator of the universe, that, that he died, he was buried, he rose again, that before the foundations of time, Jesus existed, and he was there, and he created, and he it was a part of creation, and all throughout time has been involved in our lives. When you come to the place in your life, when you accept the truth of the good, Good news of Christ. Something changes in your life forever. And it impacts you, and it begins to change you, and it begins to transform you, and it begins to speak in your life, and it begins to cause there be a shift in your perspective. And look what it says. It says, it is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. And so this gospel comes, and it changes us in deeper ways than maybe we even realize. This word, this word changing in this verse is actually talking about something a little bit beyond just, just the initial salvation moment when you experience Jesus. Something changes in your life. Look what this definition is increasing. To cause to grow, augment, to make something greater by adding to it. Now it's important you recognize the distinction of this word. This word is not just speaking about the salvation that you've received in your life. This is talking about the implications beyond just your initial salvation. This isn't just talking about when you raise your hand and you make a confession of faith that I'm going to serve God. What this is talking about, this change, is actually referring to what happens when the gospel begins to impact every area of your life. When the gospel of Jesus Christ goes beyond a religious confession of your mouth and an attendance to a Sunday and, uh, and giving your, your, your finances and giving to charity and doing good things, when it goes beyond religion, when it goes beyond just this intellectual understanding, the, the, the fruit that it bears in your life is there is life change, change begins to happen, it begins to change how you think, it begins to change how you act, it begins to change your relationships, it begins to change your finances, and what happens is, is that immediately you know that when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, I, don't, I know for me, I had some deep sin in my life, and when I accepted Jesus Christ into my life, there were some things that I was doing that changed. There were things, you know what I mean, like when you accept Jesus for the first time, it's like maybe you had an addiction and the addiction goes away, or maybe you were dealing with depression and the, de the depression ceases, but there's a radical moment where something happens in your life, but when the gospel of Jesus Christ begins to impact you, it changes you in subtle ways. Small little things in your life that only could happen when Jesus Christ is involved in your life. Little tiny things begin to happen where your perspective begins to shift little by little and God begins to renew your thinking and how you live and how you act and how you parent and how you are in marriage and how you're in a relationship and how you do your finances. There's a different spin on everything in your life. If you truly are following after Jesus, there are subtle shifts that happen in your life and you find your life is being absolutely transformed. Now, I wanted to share on these two things because I feel like they're probably some of the largest implications in just at least in my life uh, outside of, you know, areas of sin or outside of, uh, you know, outside of just trying to be a, a, you know, a better person, more like Christ. These are two specific areas where God has taken me and actually changed me in these areas, in the area of relationships, in the area of finances. And so we're going to talk about first our finances. Our finances, they, they change. Our view of our finances shifts. There's an incredible transformation. Think about, for, think about it for just a minute. Our entire life on this planet is centered around money. We, we get up every day. We, we, you know, I know one guy here works at a coffee shop. He was there at 4.30, and you got your schedule, and your whole life is centered around uh, the, the money that you're making or the job that you're working. In order to live in a house, you got to make money. In order to drive a car, you got to have money. In order to go out, you got to have money. In order to buy clothes, you got to have money. Money is the driving force behind 
really our ultimate existence. Without money, you and I don't really have much. If we don't have money, we can't pay the bills. We don't have the ability to eat. We end up in a position where maybe we're homeless or maybe we're in need. And so money is the driving force of all of our existence. And what happens is, is that money becomes almost like a driving force in our life. And when we meet Jesus, something shifts in our perspective about money. And here's the rub. So either you believe that God truly provides every single cent for you, or you believe that I, God provides for me, but I have acquired a lot of my possessions through my talents and good work and hard effort. So either it's either one or two. It's either A, God provided everything, or B, God provided some things. And if you believe that God didn't provide all things, then when when you begin to get things into your life, you begin to feel as though and think as though you actually have ownership over the decisions that you're making, and it's ultimately up to me to decide where my finances go. But if you believe that God provided every single thing that you have, you realize that every single cent in your bank account, every single toonie and loony. Still feel weird saying that as an American. Toonie, because the you know, Looney Tunes, you know, it's a cartoon. My family makes fun of me for this. Every Looney and Toonie in your bank account, if you believe this, if you believe the Lord gave it to you, belongs to the Lord. Every single cent. Psalms 24 says this, look at this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. Every single sin. Now, I believe the, the, the second option is God provides for all of my needs. He provides everything that I have because the scripture says that everything belongs to the Lord. And if everything belongs to the Lord, that means every single cent, every single dollar, every single uh, amount in my pocket belongs to the Lord. Now, Jesus taught on uh, money almost more than any other topic. Uh, and one verse he uses, he actually defines the power of money in our lives. In Matthew chapter 6, it says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. So he identifies two different masters in our life. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Look at this. You cannot serve both God and money. He says, okay, there's two differences here. That when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to make a decision that money, I will no longer serve money. Money is going to serve me. I'm no longer going to serve money any longer. I'm going to serve God, which means every single cent in my bank account now belongs to God. Look at this word master. Something or someone you belong to that gives you the power to decide. The owner. The one who has control of the person. So when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe, honestly, I believe this very strongly, that our money is the last thing that we give to God. It's the very last thing in our life that we completely surrender to God because we live in a world where our entire life is driven by the idea of career and finance and money and, and revenue, and it drives our life. And when we live with money being God's, when every cent belongs to the Lord, do you know what that means? Every single thing I do is for the Lord. And so Jesus here says, I want you to be careful because when you follow me, money can used to be your master and it's no longer your master any longer. And the point is, is that Jesus changes our perspective on money. Now, the Holy Spirit has convicted me in this area and I hate it. <laughs> I hate standing in the grocery line. I hate going to Canadian Tire because it's so tempting with all the darn sales everywhere. I just walk in there and I come out, and that's where we have our real problems, my wife and I, because I come up with a Canadian Tire bag. She's like, you did not go to Canadian Tire! Like, it's so easy. I just walk through, and I just look at all the sales, all the red tags there. It's just so tempting. But I'm sitting in the line, you know, and you're doing your checkout, and there's the gum, and there's the magazines, and there's the Mentos, and there's the, there's the things, and I'm just like, oh, gosh, I think I need a pack of gum. Like, I, I mean, I need a pack of gum. My breath... <laughs> Yeah, like totally new pack. And as I'm standing, the Holy Spirit's saying, you don't need a pack of gum, Ryan. 
Like, that's my money, that $1.89 that you're about to spend on that, that's my money. And I'm thinking, even to the smallest little purchase of a pack of gum, God is beginning to take control, and it's just driving me nuts. But as you begin to serve Jesus and you begin to walk on this journey, and you might say, man, that sounds terrible. Well, listen, God can provide for you when you have little, when you have nothing. God can provide for you in such a way where you live the life that God has called you to live, where you are blessed beyond your measure, where you are able to give and bless and be able to, to be able to have a healthy budget in your life. The more you allow God to take every single cent in your life, the more God wants to bless you in your finances. And I really have been struggling with it. And I know that God is working in my life in this area. And I want to talk about a concept in the New Testament. Now, don't be afraid. I'm going to use a word that all of you are often afraid of. It's okay. Let's talk about the idea of tithing, just for a minute. The idea of tithing. You're like, I just heard this. <gasps> it's okay. <laughs> now, there's a misconception. I'm not teaching on the idea of tithing per se, I want you to understand something about that word, about the concept of that, to help you understand how God changes us in our finances, okay? There's a misconception that tithing isn't in the New Testament, and th there are many practices in the Old Testament that don't make sense to us today, yet many of these ancient ways will actually carry over into the New Testament. So we no longer sacrifice animals any longer to appease us uh, in, the, in the temple. Now, rather, we are called to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Men are no longer required to be circumcised. <laughs> now, it's a circumcision of your heart. All the men say, hello. It's a circumcision of your heart. It's a spiritual thing that happens in your heart. Most of us don't have grain and produce grain to bring it into the storehouse. Now, rather, we give our income in these specific ways. But the compulsory nature of the Old Testament commandment has been replaced by a greater commandment. In other words, just because something is written in the Old Testament doesn't mean it lacks application for our lives today. So why doesn't the New Testament specifically teach the concept of tithing? That's the reason, because the reason Jesus did not spend time talking about tithing is because it was already a regular part of the Jewish mindset. They did not need to teach on something that every single person already did. In fact, even those who were not uh, the, the Jewish uh, custom, those who followed the Mosaic law, a majority of the individuals in that day were Jewish, and even many of the Gentiles would follow this practice. It was a regular reality. In fact, the expectation in the Mosaic law was that they would give 10 to 28% of their income. And so it was this idea of tithing, this idea of giving, this idea of offering was ingrained into their relationship with God. It was attached to a law that when I give my tithe, God will then love me. It was this idea, a little bit of a works idea, where if I gave my money, then God will bless me. If I gave my money, then God will love me. If I give my money, then I can walk through the commands in order to, to appease the, 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 the love of God that he might care for me and love me, but Jesus came on the scene and he expected something completely different. He came on the scene and the expectation was never, ever in scripture, from the beginning to the last, was it ever an expectation of zero. The expectation in these disciples' minds, they knew because they were Jewish, they followed the Mosaic law, they followed the customs of, 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 the, of, the, of the Torah, they uh, tied their entire life, and that's why Jesus never ever talked about it, but he did make one comment about it, and look at the scripture in Matthew chapter 22, 23. He says, It's what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes. You see that? Jesus says, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. See, these men were men who were professed followers of God, yet they were giving their tithe, their money, oh, they were giving maybe 10 to 28 percent, and yet they were missing the entire point that God wants their heart, not just their money. He 
wants their heart. The Old Testament expectation was 10 to 28%. The New Testament expectation is everything. See, the heart behind what Jesus did is he came in and he turned the whole thing upside down. And when they said, hey, if you're, you know, uh, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, they said, if you, uh, you know, they said, if, if you commit adultery, you know, uh, uh, if you, you know, sleep with a woman or, you know, commit adultery, she's stoned or, or, or you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, this extreme uh, commands of the Mosaic law. And then Jesus came in and said, actually, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus went from the religious practice of what it looks like to be a professed follower of Jesus Christ, and I give my money and I go to church and I do my thing. See, what happens is when Jesus changes you, it impacts not just your 10% because he's never asked for, for, for zero. He's always asked for 10 to 28%. He says, guess what? I want it all. Not just the top, not just the bottom. I want it all. Now you're saying, Ryan, am I supposed to give the church all my finances? That's not my point and that's what I want you to hear. I'm using the concept of tithing to define for you that even in the New Testament, when Jesus referenced tithing, he was trying to say to them, listen, it's no longer any longer about the religious actions or the religious duties that when Jesus changes your life, he doesn't just want a part of you, he wants all of you. He wants every cent. He wants every dollar. He wants every motive and every intention. He wants everything. Look at this, uh, Matthew 20, 37 to 38. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart. Look at that, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jesus didn't say, give me 10 to 28% of your heart. Give me 10 to 20% of your soul. He said what? I want it all. See, what Jesus is teaching us here, I want you to, you need to, you need to read your Bible for an hour every single day or else. You need to make sure you're in your prayer closet for at least an hour and 45 minutes or else. What Jesus wants from you is he wants your heart. He wants every single ounce of your finances. He wants every single ounce of your heart. He wants every single ounce of your relationships. He doesn't just want a part of it. He doesn't just want 28% of it. He doesn't just want a piece of it. He doesn't just want your Sundays. He wants your Monday, your Tuesday, your Wednesday. And when Jesus changes your life, your finances now are no longer in your possession. They are driven by your master King Jesus. And he begins to speak to you. And he begins to help you. And he begins to direct you. And giving to the church or giving to organizations or giving to charity, all those things are just, just an outflow of my heart of love for God because I don't give 10%. I want to give everything to wherever God wants me to give because my finances are no longer mine. Look at this scripture in Matthew 12. Mark 12, I'm sorry. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in their large amounts but a poor widow came and put in two very small coins, copper coins worthy only of a few cents. Now, well, actually, this is interesting because where this woman threw in the coin was in the, they actually had a, a court in the temple that was just for women because women weren't allowed to go into other parts of the court. And so these women, it was all women in this court, and, and uh, what was happening was is that where Jesus was sitting, he saw on this side, there was this trumpet, it was almost like an open trumpet, and people would just kind of throw their money in, you know, like one of those uh, change things at like the store, you know, you throw your money in and it goes to the bottom. The same thing over here, and so Jesus is watching, and many theologians believe that it was almost nearly impossible to see how much each person was giving. There was no record keeping, they didn't keep a, you know, a, a ledger of who gave what, it just, they threw it into the temple, and it was all, like, the, the, it was very very difficult to see who was throwing in what. So when Jesus looked at these two people, the, the widow here and the rich people here, the woman who was impoverished with two copper coins and the rich people who threw in a lot, when he looked at them, many theologians believe that Jesus could not see the amount of money. All he could see was their heart. And when he looked at them both, he saw a rich person 
who threw in the money, and look what the scripture says, calling to his disciples. So this is a teachable moment for those in the room that are changed by Christ. He says, okay, gather around. I want to give you a moment, a teachable moment about finances. He says, calling his disciples, he said, truly I tell you, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. That word welfare is a really interesting word. The word welfare actually means the idea of abundance out of the overflow, to give what is excessive, to give beyond measure. So like if you get a tax return and a bunch of extra money comes in, this, these, these rich people in this story would take the extra and they would give it to the temple. They would give above their excess. They wouldn't give from their regular. They would only give out of their riches, not out of their poverty. This woman had nothing but two copper coins and she threw the money in there because her heart had been changed by Jesus and she knew, God, I could give you everything and you're going to provide for me. You're going to bless me. You are faithful, God. You continually provide for all my needs. The Bible says, don't make me rich so I forget about you and don't make me poor so I wonder where you are. Give me just what I need. And if you are faithful to give everything to the Lord, he won't give you more. He's not going to make you rich. He's not going to make you poor. He's going to give you just for what God has called you to be in. A lot of you in the room are wealthier than I am, but guess what? God's called you to it. And he's called you to steward it. The rich young ruler came to Jesus as a rich man and he came to him and he said, oh, I follow the commandments. And he said, I, I don't know how to get eternal life and what do I do? And Jesus looked him right square in the eyes and said, listen, you've been a good person. You've given out of the excess of your riches. Good. Now I want you to give everything. Go sell it all. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the Bible says the man turned around with a clouded face and he walked away. And I always wonder, what would have happened if that man would have given everything? Maybe God would have said, wow, you just gave me everything. Now I'm going to give you four times that to build orphanages across the world. And I'm going, to, I'm going to bless you. Maybe I won't even bless you financially. Maybe you've been alone for a while and God wants to bless you in a relationship. Listen, I don't believe, I want you to hear me. I don't believe that if every single time you give 10% or 20% or give everything, that God necessarily is going to come and give back to you. Listen, this is not an investment. He's not a banker. We don't give him money and he gives us more. Guess what? God provides for his people because he loves you, not because you give to him. I'm going to give to my daughter and my son because I love them. Not because they're faithful to give to me because I love them. Now, guess what? God loves it when you give to him. He blesses you. Yeah, he sure does. But there is no transactional idea that if you give this 10%, you're going to make 20%. That is not in Scripture. It's all about the area of your heart. If you give two copper coins in the name of loving Jesus out of an act of worship to him, guess what? He's going to provide for every single need in your life. Now, if you're here today and you're in, you say, Ryan, I can't do stuff because I'm in debt. Well, then let's get you out of debt. I want, to hear, I want you to hear me very clearly. There's a teaching going around that God can uh, heal debts. I don't believe that. He doesn't come and take away our debt. He gives us wisdom to get out of debt. <laughs> right? He gives us wisdom. He gives us partners. He gives us helpers in the body of Christ who are better than money than I am. And different people in the body who have a gift for, for money and the gift of making cash. You line yourself up with those people and say, hey, listen, my, my finances are in shambles. I'm a little in debt. I got stuff going on. I don't know what to do. I really want to make this right. They'll help you. They'll partner with you. Get you to a place where now you say, God, every single cent in my bank account is yours and I want to make a promise to you, uh, sealed and delivered. I promise you this. God will provide for all of your needs in your life. But it comes through you being a person who says, all right, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm not just going to give you one dollar here. You don't just own one dollar here. You own it all. And Lord, you lead me as I give. That's what we always say. We love, we honor spirit-led generosity because we want it to be spirit-led we want it to be from a heart of sacrifice and worship to the Lord because we've trusted from day one of this church that if the Holy Spirit's going to build this church, if God's going to build this church, he's going to send people who say, all right, Lord, I am spirit-led in my generosity. It's not about 10%. It's not about 28%. It's about him wanting every single cent in your bank account. He wants you to yield this area to your life. It is evidence that there's change in your life. Now, next time you go to make that purchase and the Holy Spirit convicts you, listen, 
I was driving down the street the other day and I wanted to stop at the store and was craving a bottle of Dr. Pepper because I love Dr. Pepper. And I was just like, I'm going to go buy a bottle of Dr. Pepper. Driving down the road and I kid you not, I felt the conviction. I, I wanted to blame it on pizza or lunch, but it wasn't. It was conviction. <laughs> and it was the Holy Spirit telling me, don't you dare buy that Dr. Pepper. Guess what? I bought the Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and guess what? I felt sick afterwards because I chugged it like a little child. <laughs> My wife doesn't know, so I lied to her. I'm sorry, Eddie. <laughs> now, did I lose all my finances and does God hate me? No. He says, son, don't be so, I love you, buddy, but next time, get, have a little self-control. <laughs> See, little things like that, if you let the Holy Spirit speak to you in your Dr. Peppers, he'll start to speak to you in your business transactions. He'll start to speak to you in your car purchases. He'll start to speak to you in a way where now you live a life where people are like, wow, how much money do you make? Well, I make this much money. You make nothing and you live like that? It's just because God's always provided for all my needs. Amen. God's always provided for our needs. Yeah. And the reason is because is we're not perfect at it. Trust me, because I like Dr. Pepper. But the Holy Spirit wants us to come to a place where we yield every single dollar. Amen? Amen. Jesus gets your heart you'll start to give generously out of your increase, out of all that God calls you to give. Amen? Amen. He'll lead you. He'll speak to you. You just be obedient. All right? Okay. That wasn't too bad, huh? <laughs> Second part I find is very, very important. And I think some people are going to be really impacted by this next thought on relationships. Let's read the scripture. Ephesians chapter 2 says, for, the, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, look at that, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his, fle in the, in the, in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Little context, this is specifically talking about the Jewish race who had been selected by God to be the chosen race of people, the Jewish people. And all throughout history, we see that the Jewish uh, race is, was God's remnant. And then when Jesus came to the earth and died on a cross, it was no longer just about the Jew, but now everyone who is, so if you're not a Jew in this room, every person who's not a Jew now could partake of that remnant of being in God's family. We were now grafted into that family. But the problem was is that the Jewish individuals had this idea in their minds that we were the insiders, and the Gentiles felt like they were outsiders, and so it created this hostility, this dividing wall of hostility. So what this means is, is there was something between them and the other person. There was offense. There was bad treatment. There was something they said, something they did. They talked badly about me. They treated me wrongly. When I was younger, they, they abused me, or they were angry at me, or they mocked me, or my boss is just, a, just I don't like him, and he treats me terrible at work, and no matter what I do, he just treats me like a, I'm a terrible person, or he's, just not, a, he's a, not a man of integrity, or a woman of integrity, or man, I've been in that relationship, and no matter how hard I try to make that relationship work, I continue to lay myself down and submit myself, but they never submit to me. I'm always saying sorry. They're never saying sorry. I got problems and hostility in your family where there's uh, brokenness and pain from things of the past where your mom said something to you or your dad said something to you or they prefer your brother or sister over you. Hostility, offense, bitterness, unforgiveness, and the biggest one of all I think would probably ring true for a lot of us where we've been in a church setting and we've been hurt by by stinking stupid Christians. I'll edit that out. The Christians who uh, can't offend me and they say things they shouldn't say to me and they, they cause problems or even worse, pastors, ah, shepherds who were not shepherds at all and they use the staff to not just uh, encourage me and to discipline me, they use it to beat me and I was beat through manipulation and I was beat through false teaching and I was beat through this. All of these different relationships that you and I have experienced and are experiencing right now that cause that little urt in your stomach when you go to work. You see that person across the hall and you go, urt, urt, you know what I mean? Oh, I gotta stand that person. It just gets in your spirit. It gets in your mind. It causes frustration. It causes difficulty. Relationships are the one thing in our life that I think 99% of people just really stink a lot. Like, they're just terrible people. No offense, you guys are perfect. But all the other people, they're just, ah, yeah. do you know what I mean? You just have this relationship is the very core of most of our problems. As I shared in its complicated series last year online, it's just drama. And see, what we have to understand something about this drama. Look what the, the second part of this verse says. In, in one body, 
He wants to reconcile both of them to God. Look at this. Through the cross. Everybody say, through the cross. By which he put to death their hostility. Now, I want to help you. I'm going to say, I'm going to say a strong statement to you. And I want you to hear it. And I'm going to say it like I always like to say it. If you're here today, and you say, Ryan, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Firstly, I want to give you the hope that every relationship that you experience, it might not always be perfect, but God can bring reconciliation where there was no reconciliation before. He can also give you the tremendous grace to deal with those people who just never will change their idiotic ways. You just have a special capacity and grace to deal with that boss who won't stop treating you the way he's treating you. There's an incredible amount of capacity because the Holy Spirit gives you grace when you humble yourself. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so he will give you grace. But saying that, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. If you want to be a uh, have a listen, have a life giving, and I'm saying this because I've experienced this life giving, growing, thriving relationship with Jesus Christ as a follower of Jesus. You are not allowed to take hostility and bitterness and unforgiveness on your shoulders because Jesus crucified it on the cross. He took it on the cross. Every person that offends you, every person that hurts you, every area of bitterness, every area of resentment, as a changed follower of God, and I can tell you this because he's changed this in my life, that I have a goal to be unoffendable, that nobody can offend me. Why? Because I am under the blood of Jesus Christ. He crucified that on the cross, and I don't have the right to take it off of the cross because he took it for me. And so every one of us here today has to understand that we have to see people through the lens of the cross. Now, not everyone's going to see this, so I'm sorry, but I'm sure you can be a little imaginative. Many of us in our relationships, I'm going to try my best, so I'll tell you what it says. See it through, you're not going to see it. Well, you just guess, okay? And I spelled that wrong, it says un forgiveness. And you can't read my handwriting anyway, so what does it matter? Someone help me with my illustrations in the future, please. Bitterness. Fear. Hate. Depression. Disappointment. And this is how you see every relationship. Every relationship in your life, you're looking through unforgiveness. You're looking through bitterness. You're looking through fear. You're looking through hate. You're looking through the fact that you mistreated me. You treated me like you should have treated me. I thought you were a Christian. I thought you were a pastor. I thought you were my father. I thought you were my sister. I thought you were my friend. And we see every relationship through this lens. And if Jesus Christ has actually transformed your life, you can only see them through the redemption of the cross. I want to say this. You do not have the right you do not have permission to carry a burden that is rightfully Jesus Christ's burden. And every time we get injured, I, I know some of you here today have been hurt, and I don't want to minimize that hurt. I don't want to minimize the pain because I've been in your shoes. But I want to tell you, I'm on the other side of this, and gosh, I just understand what it feels to be offended. And you have the right to be offended, and you have the right to feel offense. How many of you have ever been offended? Put your hand in the air. If you don't raise your hand, you're a sociopath. <laughs> Every person in the room has experienced pain in their life, but I, I'm telling you, I'm not perfect at this. I get offended. James offends me all the time, and I just forgive him. But I know that there's feelings of offense. There's feelings of pain, feelings of hardship. Those are normal. Rest in those. But if you don't stop holding on to it. You will not experience the relationship with Christ that he has for you. And I know the feeling of feeling like I'm right, because I'm right. <laughs> I'm right. 
We have to see every single relationship through the cross. You're not going to see this. Maybe it's a little better. No, it's not better at all. Look at that. He could just he could make up anything. Man, Pastor Ryan, he put that weird thing on the image. You gotta see every relationship through this. And it's a decision. You start here. Man, Andrew Ling's always rude to me. He's not very nice. He's always so sarcastic. And I don't know if he's being truthful or not. I just can't figure it out. So you know what? The last guy that did that to me hurt me. Just kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> you have to make a choice as a follower of Jesus. I have to yield my, vi- my, my relationship vision and say, okay, God, you got my finances now. Now you want my relationships? And you've got to shift yourself to be under the cross. And so now you see every relationship to the cross. Yes, you hurt me. Yes, you've wounded me. Yes, but guess what? I don't have the right to hold it. I feel it. I feel that pain. I need to have the tools to process that pain and talk through that pain and go see a counselor, uh, talk to your spouse, talk to a friend, talk to a pastor. This is how I feel. That's okay. But if you continue to carry the cross of your unforgiveness up the, the, the hill of Golgotha, you will experience what it feels like to have spiritual death. And this is where I believe such a strong uh, desire in my heart to help people get out of this place. So many followers of Jesus are so stuck carrying the cross that Jesus is standing there saying, why are you carrying that cross? Well, that's my cross. Why are you putting that on your shoulder? I don't understand. Why are you trying to take, what are you trying to take it from me for? Like, he's looking at you thinking, son, daughter, listen, it's not yours to take. I've taken this for you. Stop trying to put this on your shoulder. Stop trying to carry this. I know it hurts you. I know that they offended you. I know that they mistreated you. I know you didn't deserve it. I understand that you were probably right in the situation, but it doesn't change the reality, son and daughter, that I took that cross on my shoulders, and I took that, 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 the through my hands and through my feet and I shed my blood so that you would no longer have to walk around with the overwhelming sense of bitterness and forgiveness in your life. You have been set free to be free. And a person who's changed in their life begins to let Jesus see them through their offense. I'm going to share a little story with you and it's not on my notes and I got some really good stuff in here but I'm going to do it later. Should I tell you a personal story or a Bible story? You choose. Oh, shut up. (laughs) I always have issues with pastors. That's always my story. People offend me too, but you know, you kind of hold pastors to this place if you're a Christian or a follower of God. Generally you do. And then what happens, you get hurt by a pastor and so you never trust a pastor again, which is the other side of the coin, which is really hard because then you meet a really good pastor who wants to help you and you don't let him in your life. That's a little side caveat asterisk. And I remember walking into, a, there was a conference. I didn't want to go to this conference because I think that that person was going to be there. And a friend of mine said, oh, he's not going to be there. He's out of town. <coughs> he lied to me. <laughs> he knew he was going to be there. And I walk in the room on the left side of the building, this big, you know, there's probably, you know, whatever, the hundreds of people there. And I walk across the room and I see him across the room. And instantly, you know, your heart goes, <coughs> like, oh, gosh. Thinking to myself, this is my territory. Why, you know what I mean? Like, why are you encroaching on my territory? The sense of, I own this. Almost a sense in my heart when I saw him of, hey, I'm free. Go away. I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, how are you really doing? I'm fine. I'm good. Whatever. <clears throat> I'm good. And the Holy Spirit just prompted my heart. And I know this sounds really weird. The Bible says to greet one another with a holy kiss. And I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to go give this man a kiss on his cheek. And there had been a lot of stuff that had gone on, and a lot of it not even accurate, just misunderstanding. So I remember I was standing there in the corner in the darkness trying to worship, and the Lord, the Holy Spirit just kept saying, yeah, you better. Yes, God, you know, totally being fake, tears in my eyes, being fake, worshiping, because I didn't want anyone to think that I wasn't a holy pastor, you know, all these really cool pastors in there. And I'm the guy in the back who just is a real guy who doesn't even think I'm that great and just in the corner in the darkness feeling pretty bad for myself. The Holy Spirit said, now. So I walked around the lobby. (sighs) 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 Open that door. And I walk in. 
tap him on the shoulder. And he turns around, and his first reaction was this reaction of, like, I don't want to talk to you. And I came around the corner, and I just, like, bear hugged him, and I just kissed him on the cheek. And he was like, <laughs> and I felt Holy Spirit say, do it again. I hugged him, and I kissed him on the cheek. I felt the Holy Spirit say, do it again. So I hugged him again, and I kissed him on the cheek, and I stood back, and I looked him right square in the eyes. I said, I know. We got a lot of stuff here, but I want you to know, I see you through the cross. And I am sorry for anything I've taken, done wrong, or anything I've messed up. And I want you to know that I love you. I don't love you because I agree with you. I don't love you because we listen to the same music. I don't love you because we're in the same denomination. I don't love you because we're going to hang out now. We're going to be best buddies. See, that's, that's the myth about forgiveness. That you think that if you say sorry, you're not going to have to be best friends with them and vacation together. And at church, you're going to have to sit with one another and talk about all the wonderful things you did this weekend. And like, listen, just because you're in forgiveness with another, doesn't mean you even have to be like each other. You just are called to love each other. I hugged this man on the cheek and I looked him in the eyes and I said, I love you. And I said, I want to get together with you. Three days later, I sat with coffee with him. We held hands at the table. We wept. We prayed for one another. I repented. I said, I don't, I know, I, I feel like I'm right in a lot of this, but I'm, gosh, I'm so wrong in a lot of this, and I'm so sorry. And I've had to do that so many times is recognize that you're never all right. Stop thinking you're all right all the time. You're actually not. You're actually wrong in a lot of part of this journey. And this pastor definitely said, the battle is the Lord's, and he wants to fight for you. I made an amends with that man and I, I made it right with him and now when I see him before I didn't want to go to certain places and fear that they'd be there now I go in there hoping I'll see this person and guess what I can honestly say to you right now there's not one person on this planet that I hold a grievance towards because I've worked so hard to say Holy Spirit I yield my control of these relationships and people that have hurt me I yield them to you God so that you can have my whole heart and I want you to hear me and I'll end on this last statement and I know this is going to be a heavy statement, but I want to make it. That's who I am. Many of you here today have tried to serve the Lord for so long, but have hit roadblocks. And I believe one of the reasons that there's a roadblock between you experiencing a life-giving relationship with the Lord, I want you to hear me, and I say this out of love, is because you haven't yielded your finances to Him, and you haven't yielded your relationships to Him. And if you can just start to go on a journey, say, all right, Holy Spirit, I hate this. I hate the fact that you want my money and I hate the fact that you want me to forgive. I hate that. I do. I acknowledge that. I don't like it. But Lord, I want to be a changed person. I want to experience the fruit of change in my life. I want to experience a joy that is indescribable. I want to experience a peace that is beyond my understanding. I want to experience life-giving relationships with people where I'm not always thinking there's a gotcha moment or they're going to get me or things like that. I want to have a peaceful, life-giving, honest relationship with people where I don't always have to live in fear that they're going to hurt me too. And you can have that today. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray with you. Would you do me a favor real quick and just close your eyes for a minute? We do this every week because we want to make sure everyone in the room has an opportunity to know Jesus. But before I ask that question, I just want to pray for people in the room. I know that these two topics hit right to the heart of a good chunk of folks in the room. Come on, you're here today with every eye closed across the room because I don't want to embarrass anybody. If you're here today, say, and I, I want you to be able to be free today just to quickly put your hand in the air if this is you so I can personally know who I'm praying for. You're here today, say, Ryan, those areas, one of those areas, man, I, man I, I've been holding on to my finances. I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm struggling, and I need God in the area of my finances. Come on, would you just wave at me real quick? Come on, put your hand in the air. That's, come on, all across the room. Come on, you're all family doing it together. Amen? Come on, you're here today. You say, Ryan, I have been carrying the cross of my pain and my unforgiveness and my bitterness, and today, come on, I want to give that cross up. Come on, put your hand real high in the air today. Come on, all across the room. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, Father, I pray, Lord, for the 98% of people who raised their hand in this room today. Father, I pray right now that you would come. Holy Spirit, this is my prayer, that you would pinpoint right now that thing in their life that is keeping them, that barrier in their life that is keeping them from experiencing a relationship with you, oh God. I pray for those in the room who are struggling in their finances. 
Lord, I know that it, that it comes from a place of fear. And it comes from a place of lack of trust. And it comes from a place where, Lord, I feel like i got to figure this out. Or bad decisions. I pray right now for grace. I pray for grace. I pray for grace in the name of Jesus. No more shame and no more guilt and no more of that pressure that's on their shoulders. But Lord, I pray that you give them wisdom, wisdom to get out of debt, wisdom uh, uh, to uh, talk with people. God, give them confidence and assurance that they are in a body of Christ, a family who wants to help them and partner with them and walk with them, oh God. And we pray, Lord, even right now, the shame that is associated with bad finances, we tell it to go right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Shame be gone right now. Lord, we pray for those in the room who've been carrying your cross. Lord, I, those in the room who've been hurt, and those in the room who've been wounded, God, I pray you would do for them what you did for me. You came in a room, Holy Spirit. And you gave me the strength to forgive. You gave me the strength to let go. You gave me the ability to, to, to release my grip from these people and what they did to me. And Holy Spirit, I pray for grace. Lord, in our deficiencies and our weakness, your strength is made perfect. And I pray right now, Lord, I pray for a divine appointment this week. I know it makes them afraid. I know they don't want to go through it. But today, this week, I pray for a divine appointment with those individuals and that you would provide them the grace and the opportunity to take that first step towards reconciliation. My last question this morning, and then I'll let you go. If you're in the room today and you say, Ryan, I do not have a relationship with Christ. I'd like to have one today. All you have to do is put your hand in the air real quick and let me pray with you. Just put your hand in the air. If you say, Ryan, I'd like to give my life to Jesus today. I'd like to start a journey with him today. Come on, anybody in the room today? Come on, amen. Come on, church, why don't you repeat after me and pray? Real loud. Come on, buddy. Let's pray real loud. Lord Jesus, I come to you right now. I surrender every area of my life. I give you my finances, my relationships, and I put you in control. And I ask you to come into my life. And forgive me of my sin. And wash me whiter than snow. I give my life to you. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.